podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. You better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout, I'm telling you why. Basketball's coming to town, basketball's coming to town, basketball's coming to town. Scott's making a list, Grant's checking it twice, they're gonna find out who's naughty and nice. Basketball's coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. Basketballs are coming to town. The boys are back and order is restored. We swiped the football before Charlie Brown could kick it this year. And God damn, am I happy about it. Grant, Cats 27, Cyclone 17. Uh, what a game. Yes. Um, we did it again. It's happened again. It's happened again. We did it. I mean, it, I, I was I was worried for a little bit, but... The good people of Twitter reminded me who we were playing, and I, I calmed down, and the universe balanced itself out. Yeah, it was a one-year blip last year. We have asserted our dominance once again, and if you want to assert your dominance in the bedroom consensually, <laughs> use Blue Chew. Go to bluechew.com. It's the same active FDA-approved ingredients that you will find in Viagra and Cialis. You chew it up, you do it, you get a rock-hard erection, and if you use promo code ARMCHAIR, you're getting your first month free. All you have to do is pay $5 for shipping and handling, and you have at least six sex sessions with a rock-hard penis. Uh, it's true. Um, works really well, works really fast. Um, no awkward doctor visits. Comes shipped discreetly, discreetly to your door. Um, shoot and do it. Absolutely worth it. Um, I would, I would recommend it. Perfect. I love it. Everyone get your blue chew because we're going to be without sexy, sexy football for at least, uh, you know, four months or four weeks while we're waiting for a bowl game. So you might need a little help getting an erection since Chris Kleiman's team won't be there to give you one. Um, before we get into the actual game yesterday, senior day, 27 total seniors, 24 scholarship seniors played their last game in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Uh, we had a ton of guys who rode through a coaching change. Only one guy grad transferred out, uh, and that was, of course, Alex Delton. Um, well, was Zuber a senior? Yeah, Zuber was a senior. Yeah. So you had two guys grad transfer out. Uh, but for the most part, you had a ton of guys who stuck around for their final year of eligibility with a coaching search, which is something you really don't see. Um, you had a lot of guys, especially in the trenches, that helped us get to that 8-4 and four season, and then a couple grad transfers who carried the load most of the season at running back in this run-heavy offense. 
uh, Grant, um, what are your thoughts after a senior day? And uh, what, what is your overall uh, long-term, you know, memories of this senior class going to be? Uh, I mean, they're going to be great. These dudes are kind of the new foundation in a way. You know, they stuck around through a tumultuous time period. Um, about as toxic as I've seen it in the program in the last 10 to 15 years, um, that transition period when Bill, we weren't sure if he was going to leave, if he was not going to leave. You know, the tail end of last year was uh, – it was not pretty, and people were not happy. There was talks of a large exodus of players. There was talks of um, – a large number of people not uh, renewing their season tickets. And I mean, it was, it was all going downhill last year and these 27 guys stuck it out. We've got some nice grad transfers at running back that came in and did a huge chunk of, of our work this season. I will remember them all very, very fondly. How about you? Yeah, I agree with you. If you look at the offensive line and we'll touch on them specifically, but they had their ups and downs as a career um, but I think they put on a great performance in their final game at Bill Snyder Family Stadium, their final regular season game that they'll ever have. Um, and then you look at the trenches, you look at a guy like Reggie Walker, and this kind of goes with the offensive line. Some guys who at their highest moments, uh, you know, we were talking, like singing praises like none other, but then at their lows, you really start to question them. And I think it really says a lot about – all those guys that, hey, they had some low moments, but they bounced back. And I personally don't feel like the offensive line or the defensive linemen, uh, even when people would get down on them, they ever mailed it in or stopped giving it 100%. At the end of the day, in college sports, um, it's very easy for kids to kind of mail it in and say, hey, you know what? I'm not getting paid for this. Um, this isn't what I signed up for. Uh things aren't going my way. I'm either going to transfer. I'm just going to give up completely. You never saw that from this offensive line. You didn't see it from guys like uh, Kyle ball, Reggie Walker, uh, uh, Jordan Mitty, who transferred in, of course, trade uh, Deshaun. Um, some guys that again, uh, bought through or battled through adversity, battled through uh, some folks kind of being down on them to have what I would say are uh, pretty decent careers. Um, is especially on the offensive lines, they're going to be a little of what could have been uh, for me at least. Yes, but I'm going to remember uh, this senior class as the ones that really turned it around. Uh, you know, a three game bounce back, at least three game bounce back from Snyder's last year to Clemson's first year. That's just amazing. Uh, coach Clemson officially has the best first year of a K State football coach ever, and that doesn't happen without the senior class. And, um, they may not get the accolades or be remembered as one of the best, but I think it really was one of the most important when you think about this transition time. And if we would have gone, had a four-win season like some predicted or even five like I predicted, um, Coach Kleiman probably doesn't have this momentum. Uh, the feelings, the good feelings are not surrounding this program. So uh, while it wasn't a 10-win season, it was so important to get the fan base and the region re-engage with K-State football. And I couldn't be more proud of these guys. I couldn't be more re-engaged either. I mean, these next four weeks are going to be brutal waiting for us to play, and I can't I can't even imagine how I'm going to be feeling in the offseason when it's like an eight-month dead period. It's going, to be, it's going to be tough. Yeah, college football is, the, in my opinion, the single greatest sport, and it sucks because it has the longest 
uh, off season. Um, it just comes and goes just like that. Uh, but you know, at least we have a bowl game and, uh, I have a feeling, uh, you know, you got some big time recruiting weeks coming up and then you're going to have some spring ball. And then before you know it, we're going to be back in the summer counting down the days. Um, but you know, we, we have this game and all the bowl stuff to talk about in the buildup. So let's, let's kind of dive into this game. Um, at least in my opinion, coming into the season, this was one of the most important games and how the season shook out. I would say this is either the second or third most important win we got this season. If you take into account, uh, you know, the head to head impact on recruiting, reestablishing our position, the upper tier of the conference, just our dominance over our, uh, the, the handful of regional rivals we still have in the big 12. Um, how important was getting that win and where would you rank it right now looking at the current season of the eight wins? Second for me, I mean, if you look at it just as black and white as possible, that was the second-ranked team that we played this year, um, you know, being ranked at the time, and, you know, we got the win. And I agree, I think it's extremely important with head-to-head recruiting. Um, we've been going head-to-head with Iowa State and Matt Campbell quite a bit, and they've probably had the edge. Um, so this will give us some ammunition going forward. And, yeah, I mean, to to, to make a finish tie for third, I think that's – that's probably the most important part, um, finishing in the upper half of the conference. Not even just the upper half, but the top three. I mean, behind what most people would have expected to be Oklahoma and Texas. If you told us that we were going to be third, you know, after year one with the problems that we had coming into the season with this roster, um, with, you know, people still kind of trickling out of the program um, slowly before before the season began, I mean, people would have – bit your hand off for that opportunity. So I think it's huge. I, I would put it at second. And fuck Iowa State. That's why. Yeah. Personally, I, it's second. I mean, obviously, I, I enjoyed beating Oklahoma more than winning last night. But, yeah, personally, it's second. I think overall, second is a fair shout. Yeah, I think it is either second or third. I guess it kind of depends on where you rank KU and Oklahoma on those lists um, of what is most important. or uh, And then I think undoubtedly it's the second best win we had. And here's something you you touched on. It voted preseason number nine, finishing tied for third. Here's here's just – I've been banging this drum now for a couple hours on Twitter. This is why Coach Kleiman really should be the Big 12 Coach of the Year. If you look at everything in a holistic view, what he was able to do at K-State – with the roster situation, we've said it a million times, zero committed running backs, zero scholarship running backs coming back. After spring practice, you lost your two best wide receivers. Before a game is played, you lose your best linebacker. You lose the guy who was going to start at H-back slash fullback for you, and Adam Harder, who was a part of the senior day festivities last uh, night. He's hoping to come back next year, and that would be great if he could. But, again, you lose a guy who would be so important in this. Malik Knowles, your best wide receiver, he didn't play yesterday, and he was banged up almost all season long. So you're playing with, you know, without your top three best receivers for many games coming into this. You have the single best win. No one in the Big 12 Conference has a better win than Oklahoma. Then if you go back and look at the non-conference, how the non-conference fared out, K-State has the best non-conference win. A road SEC win over a bowl team is better than anyone else. No other team in the Big 12 has that good of a non-conference win. I don't see how you can look at 
this season and say that Chris Kleiman doesn't deserve to be coach of the year. I understand that rule, and he's going to end up with a 10-1 season. He's going to be in a New Year's Six bowl game. He's going for a conference title. But at the end of the day, this was what? Matt Rule has had four recruiting classes. This is his third season. He had a multi-year buildup to this point. Chris Kleiman did this with one recruiting class that he barely had any time to put together, taking over a depleted roster and defying all odds and all preseason expectations to do it. I have a hard time really thinking anyone but Coach Kleiman. I think, and again, love Coach Rule, but I think it's short-sighted to truly dismiss Coach Kleiman when it comes to Coach of the Year. I think that um, you know we're a bit of a victim of being as close to the program as we are because we know all of the intricacies of the problems that we had with this roster and the program, you know, going into the season. So I agree with you. Obviously I think we're, we're biased clearly, but when you lay it out all like that, um, I think it's completely fair to have Chris Kleiman voted as coach of the year. I mean, what we have achieved, I think is, um, nothing short of spectacular. Um, I understand the rule. I understand, you know, the the, the rule uh, perspective, but you know, I don't have much to add there because I think you kind of nailed it. Yeah, I think Matt Rule will end up winning it, and I don't think it would be. It's not going to be an absolute sham when he does, but I, I think it is a shame that Coach Kleiman won't end up with this uh, accolade to his name because what I think he did truly is second to none. But. Um, we'll go straight into the game. We've talked about kind of the macro stuff outside of just the game, but when you look at Farmageddon in you know the last handful of years, uh, even though it you know we were down in the third quarter, what ended up being a you know relatively calm victory uh, with a second half comeback and a ten point win. Um, what were just your emotions throughout the entire game? Um. They weren't great. I mean, <laughs> I had a lot of anxiety for sure. I felt like I did when I was watching the Mississippi State game. Just honestly physically sick at points. Um, felt amazing being up 14-0, but I had a sneaky, sneaking suspicion that that was not going to last. And, of course, it didn't. And it was frustrating how we kind of let that 14-point lead slip because it was nothing really that Iowa State did. We kind of self-sabotaged. But, um, yeah, it. I honestly, when – some weird reason when we were in the second half and we were even down three, I had a decent amount of confidence that we would, you know, kind of come back and, and win. And, and we did. And thanks to the people on Twitter that were reminding me who we were playing, but, um, it was a relatively calm game, but I mean, it was a good game. It was a good game. It, I think it lived up somewhat to the farm again standards. We didn't have a, a silly, um, gut punch, so a uh, quote-unquote bad call that uh, Iowa State fans could talk about for an entire year. But um, regardless, they continued to talk about bad calls. Yeah, they did. Um, and, and again, it's, it's relatively calm in the sense of how Farmageddon has gone over the last, you know, six, seven years. Um, I, I tell you what, when we got up 14-0 and then there was that interception, I was thinking to myself, oh, man, we are going to boat race these fools but then sure enough, the interception was overturned. We had a handful of bad drops. And then in the final, you know, kind of six minutes of the uh, second half, they came back and tied it. Um, and then they also got a field goal early in the second half to go up 17-14. That's when I really started to panic. 
Uh, before we get to that second half, though, um, we sing Coach Kleiman's praises probably just as much as anyone uh, in the fan sphere, but I think it is fair to circle back to something that we have been talking about on this podcast all season long, um, and I think it's officially a concern of mine at the end of year one, and one of the only concerns I have uh, of his in-game coaching, that's his clock management, especially in that first half. Uh, first off, he let 40 seconds run down uh, while I would say failed to get in on third and goal. Um, they know they're going for on fourth down, so he lets 40 seconds go down. So it should have been at least a minute 30 on that fourth down play. Second off, he traded a bunch of sprint down the field timeouts with Matt Campbell, which, yes, it was kind of funny to see, but at the end of the day, it was a massive waste uh, because they got in and scored anyways. And then the, the next thing, we knew they are going to squib kick it. How you're not preaching so hard that these kids hear it in their sleep that you can't take a knee while you're picking up that squib kick is beyond me. So that costs you 20 yards. And then you just kind of hand it off with 36 seconds left. Uh, again, swirling wind, I understand it. We weren't able to pass in the game, but just being so passive again for maybe the fourth time before halftime, um, when you have a timeout, when it, you're not that far away from at least being in a position where you can attempt a field goal, um, it is something that has frustrated me all season, and I'm hoping climbing can figure it out in the second or uh, in year two. Uh, am I making a mountain out of a molehill, or where do you land on that debate? Um, a little bit in between. Um, I think it's annoying to concede time like that at the end of halves. You know, we've seen it a few times this season. It's a trait that I've grown a bit tired of. Um, yesterday made a little bit of sense. I don't, you know, really penalize him too hard for, you know, trading those timeouts. Um, because you know, if we, he wants, you want to get the play right. If we hold them there on fourth and one, then that's a huge win. And, you know, we get the ball back on the one we can run the clock out. Um, cause we're not going to go 99 yards, in that swirling wind, but, um, you know, you want to get that right. So I, I don't really, I don't hold it too much against him to be burning those timeouts. Um, yes, letting the clock run like that is annoying, but again, I think yesterday fighting the elements had some difficulties passing the ball. You know, we didn't want to turn the ball over at midfield and give them another chance with the wind at their back. So I don't know. I mean, I think overall, when you look at the season as a macro level, the things that we've seen him do like that, it's a little bit concerning. It's frustrating. Um, but it's year one, and we every game basically we've been in has been a battle, and you probably get to thinking to your – I mean, he's probably not used to that. He's genuinely not used to that. He's come from North Dakota State where he's beat the piss out of everybody and not had to really consider you know close game clock management – so I think it's something that he's honestly gonna have to gonna have to learn and have to practice. But um, everything else, I think he does so well. So I think we might be, um, you know, might be picking picking a little bit. But I agree. I mean, it does frustrate me, but I'm not losing too much sleep over it. Well, that's fair. I like your even kill that even killness there. Um, Overall, I thought both coordinators had a great game, and I thought they both have called masterful seasons. Uh, Hazleton was holding Iowa State to season lows, um, and the, some folks would like to point to the elements and say, well, of course, 
you know, I would say it's not going to be able to pass it, but they held them to an insanely low amount of rushing yards. And I thought Messingham, and he catches a lot of heat, and obviously I think uh, this is just kind of what comes with being an offensive coordinator, especially one who did have a failed stint at uh, Iowa State. Uh, this just kind of comes with the territory, but he was catching a lot of flack. But I thought he was a maestro when he needed to get points and when he needed to run the clock out late in the game. Um, what were your overall thoughts of Hazleton and Messingham in the game yesterday? Hazleton is so good, man. I absolutely love this defense. I love his schemes. It's so nice to see an attacking defense again, um, not surrendering all of that space and not surrendering all of that, just those large chunks of yards just to contain. It's it's so refreshing to have Hazleton back. I, I can't say enough good things about him. I genuinely do think, I don't think after this year, but yeah, uh, people are going to be coming after him because I think he's one of the best defensive minds, you know, in the country. And as far as messing him goes, I mean, shit, I thought he was a maestro before that as well. I mean, he had guys in position all night. We attacked that three-man front better than we have all year, totaled 231 yards on the night. The passing game struggled a little bit, but when we needed a pass, we were getting guys open, and we had a bad case of the drops that last night that kind of killed some drives. Um and it was great, I mean, personally, because I had like 10 to 15 people in my mentions yesterday talking about how – Iowa State fans talking about how much they hated Messingham and how much better their coaching staff was and how they were so happy to not have Courtney Messingham on their staff. And then he just go ahead, goes ahead and meticulously picks them apart. I mean, it was perfect. I thought both of them performed very well. Yeah, I that's like the one downside to the game. I actually I wasn't very cold. Um, I I had a fun time at the game, but you being at home during that, you did get to take in the full Twitter experience, and for that, I am very jealous. It was pretty good. Um, yeah, it was pretty good. But not, literally, no one has said a single thing to me. Like, I mean, I had I had. Some tweets that I threw out there, but not any replies at all. I mean, they were – I think they muted me. They must have because <laughs> the guys that, like, had been talking shit all day before the game, I mean, they haven't, they haven't tweeted a single thing, so. That's interesting. It interesting is what it is. it is. I mean, yeah, one guy, like, yesterday, Austin Narber or something, some Iowa State guy, I mean, he started it all. I wasn't, I wasn't even really doing anything, and he, like, pulled up a tweet from a year ago. And he was like, all right, I hope you're ready to defend yourself. And I, I'm ready, man. He hasn't said a single thing since that. So <laughs> pretty weak, but, you know, to the victor goes the spoils, I guess. I agree. Total yards yesterday, K-State 288, Iowa State 236. K-State five penalties for 33 yards. Iowa State eight penalties for 55 yards. And, of course, Iowa State fans were in fine form on Twitter. Multiple folks went back to d- to the delicious narrative that is Big 12 refs, refs are can corrupt. There's a conspiracy theory or theory against Iowa State and Iowa State fans. Uh, when I finally got back to Topeka to my parents' house after the game, I was laying in bed laughing, uh, just searching Iowa State and refs or K-State and refs and seeing all these bellyache and Charlie Browns trying to say that the refs were on the take. That the Big 12's <laughs> against him. Could you imagine? Could hey, you imagine? 
Big big teams get protected. Sorry, it's, it is what it is. I don't. I mean, it's insane. Like a tale as old as time. The tradition never fails. I I mean, I watching on TV yesterday. I thought the refs were pretty bad, but I thought it was both ways. I mean, they missed a lot of like blatant false starts, a lot of blatant holds, um, a very blatant offensive pass interference on Iowa State, where you know their guy literally just two hand pushed our defensive back off five yards to get a catch. Um, but there was nothing yesterday that glaringly happened, you know, to Iowa State that they can really point at. I mean, I know there has been some things in the past, but I I, I don't know. I mean, what what in God's name do they think is going on in this world? They think I, that there is I, a I conspiracy to keep Iowa State down, make it so they can't, you know, regain their – or to gain their rightful spot where they belong at the top of the conference because referees are the only reason why, despite being favored in 11 of the 12 games, they finished 7-5. and five. It, it definitely isn't that they were overhyped and not that good. It has to be the refs in the Big 12. I mean, God. There's no bad. other reason. No, it's no. bad to average for 130 years. No, that's all because of the refs in the Same. Big 12, Grant. That's true. I I can't. I don't believe you have the gall to say that Iowa State is actually just not good at football. There has been like hilarious times where Iowa State has been screwed by the refs. Like and that it's happens amazing. to everyone. But, of but course, the, yes. Yeah. I mean, it didn't happen last night. Like literally, nothing no, happened last. No, night. No, it, it didn't happen last night. But here's the thing: they like to point to like the myriad of different like bad refereeing decisions. Every single fan base has just as many. And the the shitty part is, is oh, even on college game day, Kirk Herbstreit was like, oh, Iowa State, the least lucky team in college football. No, it's fucking college football. It's being played by 18 to 22-year-old kids in a weird-shaped ball. This is what happens in the sport. You're not unlucky. You're just not good. Get over it. Good teams win. Good teams good, find a way to win. Like, good teams find a way to win. Good teams find a way to cover. Guess who doesn't cover? Iowa State. They're shit. Um, all right. Time of possession. 34 minutes for K-State. Iowa State, 26. Again, we did the little things. We kept the ball when we needed to. It was amazing. Is there anything you want to say? Get off your chest before we get into the offense. Because, boy, I'm fired up. I hate those bastards. I hate them, too. I really do. I mean... They're just so delusional, and yeah, I mean, I don't have much to say, but I, I truly do hate them. I was explaining this to all the old people in my section before the game because I was getting all fired up, and one of the guys who I really like who sits behind me was like, well, why are you so fired up? And I was like, you're not on Twitter, are you? He goes, what's Twitter? Um, I <laughs> Like, I understand, like, for for old people, for people who listen to this show that aren't on Twitter, I understand why you guys might think to yourself, Iowa State's not a rivalry. Like, there's the big threat on KSO. There was some talking about it on the game, on some national pot, or on some other K-State uh, median, uh, medians. Um, if you're not on Twitter, if you don't see the imbeciles and the conspiracy theorists and the tinfoil hat-wearing motherfuckers on Twitter... I understand why you might think to yourself, well, this isn't a rivalry. I don't care. Why do these guys hate them so much? Um, but you're exposed to this. You see everyone trying to sniff their own farts when it comes to Matt Campbell. Uh, it's impossible not to hate these Charlie Browns. Like there isn't, I, I don't understand how anyone could be exposed to all of this and not want them to lose every game forever. 
I completely agree. And, and if you take Twitter out completely, um, what really ramped up the rivalry for me and the hatred for Iowa State for me is the recent media hype for them. And the worst part of all, people drawing you know parallels to K-State and their success, saying Iowa State's the new K-State. And that really, really irked me. I mean, you look at Iowa State and what they've achieved in their history. Two nine-win seasons in 130 years. Um, they will never reach the heights that we did, ever. Um I don't care what anybody says. I don't care about the trajectory of their program, which is plateaued, by the way. Um, I it, That is what really sent me over the edge is people drawing that false parallel, which pissed me off to no end. I mean, we were elite at one point, genuinely fighting for national championships, and Iowa State has is literally desperate to win fucking nine games. And they people don't understand why, like, that – like pisses me off and it's a complete false narrative Ugh, i just hate them i hate them i'm ready for them to go back to the cellar i hope we beat them 10 straight years again their best team in the history of their program just seven and five just take a moment for that just think about it. like think of our 98 team or our 2000 team or 2003 or 2012 all that hype oh the some of the best teams case that's ever had then you turn around and go seven and five yeah so they actually so if you say that their best team is this year or last year and you point to point to their record um which I have done they'll come back with the no like 2000 or or 2002 is our best team and it's like all right so your your best team with your best quarterback ever got blitzed 58 to 7 in Manhattan and only won 9 games and was dog shit as well so is that what you're saying I mean it's really they have nothing to stand on I can't. I truly hate them. Like I, I don't like them more than KU. It's, it's to that point, and I don't realize it. I don't know. I mean, I don't know actually if that's if that's true because maybe I would. I think I would rather have lost to Iowa State than to KU this year. But God, playing against them, like I was far more stressed playing or watching last night than I was at the KU game. I just the thought of losing to them is unbearable, especially with Twitter. If you insert Twitter back in, holy shit. It's not good. Yep, I agree with you. Uh, let's migrate into talking about the offense. Uh, K-State got into the red zone four times, two touchdowns, two field goals. Um, one of the field goals, which was the massive one by Blake Lynch into the wind, they just touched the red zone uh, on that third down play. So I will be a little nicer to them and say two touchdowns, one field goal in our red zone appearances. Um, you get a little nervous uh, when you don't punch in that final scoring opportunity, leading, uh, getting a lead up to 10 instead of 14. But outside of that, I don't have much complaints about how we were when it was time to score. Yeah, uh, we were pretty pretty solid when we got got in the red zone. Um, and shout out Blake Lynch drilling seriously difficult difficult field goal kicks. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, Skylar Thompson, not a great game for him. 5 of 12 passing, only 57 yards. Had an interception, which uh, I, I can't really defend, and then a lost fumble. He did have nine rushes for 38 yards. Uh, a couple of those were on some big third-down runs to pick up first downs. Was sacked two times, so that kind of lowers that rushing total number. Um, wind and drops did definitely have an impact on his game. But even with all that, that was probably Skyler's worst game of the season. But he was still able to lead this team to a massive W. First off, uh, despite his poor game, 
he was still a leader on the field. How impressive of that is that? And then two, how much do you think the drops and conditions played into it and how much of it was Skyler just didn't have it? Um, a little bit of both. Skyler was kind of shaky at times yesterday. He actually fumbled the ball three times. Um, one of them was early, like on the first couple of plays of the game, he fumbled and he fell right back on it. He fumbled that other one that he was down. So I guess, I mean, it wasn't really a fumble, but he was coughing the ball up what seemed like a bit. Um, uh, passing game-wise, it's kind of tough for me to kind of shit on him. I mean, we only threw the ball 12 times. He had three. There were three tough drops where, you know, wide receivers have to make a play. They have to make a play there. I mean, the quarterback puts it where he, where he, where he can, where he needs to, and you got to make a play. Um, so that kind of dinged his numbers a little bit. The pick, I don't know. I felt like he kind of forced that pass. Then again, we were going into the win, so I don't know how much um, – that really affected things. So, yeah, overall, not a great game. I mean, 5 of 12 passing is not great, but he did what he had to do to win. And, yeah, I think Skyler has, is probably one of the best leaders on this team, if not the best leader. Um, he's a, he's the QB. He's QB1. And, I mean, he's, a, I think he's assumed that leader role the day that Chris Kleiman came into the program and he's done a great job. So, I'm happy with him. I'm, I wouldn't want anyone else at quarterback right now. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Uh, it was a rough game. Elements had something to do with it. Drops had something to do with it. But sometimes you just don't have it. But at the end of the day, he showed the leadership. He marshaled the team down the field when we needed points, when we needed to run clock. Um, and, and I tell you what, the guy just has moxie. At the end of the day, he's a winner. Uh, and he's 2-1 and one versus Iowa State. He has a great record in close games, and uh, we, we still got another year of this man, and I'm, I'm looking forward to what he does in the bowl game in his senior season. Um, we'll move on to the offensive line, unless you have anything else to say about Sky. I'm good. All right, offensive line only gave up two sacks and only four tackles for a loss. Massive improvement uh, after they've kind of struggled over the last few games. Um, there were 49 rushes, 231 yards. They led, or they got the team up to 4.7 yards per carry. The seniors really stepped up, I thought, in this final game in Bill Snyder Family Stadium. Uh, it really was that uh, game that we've been hoping for, hoping they could get back to. Uh, did they overachieve to the sense of like what they did versus? Oklahoma or even KU, no, I wouldn't say that. But it was a truly solid game across the board. I don't think any of them uh, was a weak spot. Uh, and you can't, you haven't been able to say that probably since the KU game. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It was their best game. Yeah, easily their best game since KU. Um, I had lost faith in their ability to run the football and I I did I was worried I mean because Iowa State's got a pretty good defensive line and you know the wind was such a factor that we knew we weren't really going to pass the ball and we didn't we didn't and when we tried we really couldn't did pass the ball effectively so it was huge for them to have a big game and they absolutely stepped up in their last game on home turf and you know I'm proud of them feels good um opened up some good holes for for the boys and it was fun to watch us run again. Yes, I agree. Let's get into those running backs. I think it was Jordan Brown's 
best game as a Wildcat. He was the leading carrier, 19 carries, 91 yards, and a touchdown for 48 yards. Let's just talk about Jordan Brown real quick. Um, this is the healthiest we've seen him since Oklahoma, uh, and he really showed kind of what I was hoping we would see throughout the season. Um, what do you think of Jordan Brown's night, and uh, how excited were you that on his final game as a, a Wildcat in Manhattan that he was able to show off for the fans? I was pumped, man. I mean, he looked healthy, and it just it just makes me question, you know, how much farther could we have gotten this season if, if we could have just avoided the injury bug but he had a different burst last night and it was it was fun to watch um he just brings a different look at running back i think he's just much more versatile than james gilbert um it was fun to watch man i'm glad he glad we had uh had the awareness and (laughs) the i don't know um energy i guess as a coaching staff to go out and find these guys um Because they were huge this year. I mean, I imagine what I, I can't imagine where we would be without those two senior running backs. Um, very happy to have them transfer into the program. Yep, I agree with you. Um, here's probably the guy. Uh, this this was my favorite of the freshman running back commits that they went out and got. And this was only the second game he's played. Jacardier Wright, six rushes, sixty yards, had a touchdown. Had a big run of 37 that helped kind of get to the point where we could get that field goal that gave us that little bit of cushion to ice the game out. Um, first off, how massive were his hard runs between the tackles, and then how impressed were you that he also has the burst and the vision to break off that 37-yard run? Uh, he looks really good. I'm very excited for Jacardier. And what an awesome name, by the way, Jacardier. It's amazing. I think he has a very bright future at K-State. I think he's possibly, you know, I I don't know, man. I think he might be the best running back on our roster. Um, Maybe not right now, but after Jordan Brown and James Gilbert leave the program, I don't know who else is better. I don't know who else has looked better than Jacardier Wright did last night. Um, And he's got size. I'm very excited for him. Very excited. I didn't expect (laughs) – yeah, that thirty that thirty seven yard run, I did not expect um, to see that ability, and I I've got high hopes for him now. Yeah, I agree with you. And uh, how promising is the future at running back? Because we've seen Joe Irvin, he's had some sparks and some big runs throughout the season. Now we saw what Wright could do in his second game out there. Both of these guys are keeping their red shirts. They still have four years of eligibility left. Then you've got some guys coming in in the 2020 class and a handful of guys who didn't even get on the field this year in the 2019 class. Um, I think it's safe to say, correct me if I'm wrong, we're not going to find ourselves in the same position we did coming into this year probably as long as Coach Kleiman's around. Yeah, I think we're always going to have a stable of running backs, but I think those two guys are going to bring a really good one-two punch um, next year. And it just has me excited, you know, uh, looking at years down the road uh, when we – hopefully build on this success and hopefully the trajectory of the program continue, continues to climb, what kind of talent can we bring at the running back position? Um, we're probably going to flip Kai Thomas too. I mean, it is what it is. Those three guys together, man, it's going to be another three-headed monster. I'm excited. I would love to flip Kai, but I'm not going to hold my breath. But you Yeah, know. I don't think that'll happen, but maybe. Maybe. Who knows? Who knows? 
Uh, James Gilbert, uh, not ju- he's just not running nearly as hard as he was early in the season. Uh, eight carries for 19 yards. I think that's just another thing. It's similar to what we said about Jordan Brown. If that guy would have been able to keep from getting dinged up, I think that we could have seen some you know massive plays from him down the stretch. Um, but he will get four weeks off before the bowl game. Um, and I, I want to talk about that bowl game real quick. Um, what are you hoping to see from James Gilbert and Jordan Brown in that bowl game after they seemingly will be able to get healthy? I know I'm excited just the thought about that. I think both of those guys could just be running on whoever our opponent is. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think it's it's going to be huge, especially for James Gilbert, um, to get these three to four weeks off um, because he clearly needs it. He's obviously not even close to 100% right now. Um, I think uh, Jordan Brown is probably a lot closer to 100% than that. Um, but we might see what you know we 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 saw early in the season us just running at will one of the best running attacks in the country at one point and I mean I'm excited I hope I hope they can get healthy I feel I feel for James Gilbert to not be able to um, really contribute on his last home game but um, he's got one game left as a Wildcat so let's let's hope for the best and hope that he can get get that injury bug out of his system and show out for one final game. Yep, um, we'll end talking about the fullbacks just real quick. Jax and Barta both played. Both, at least from my vantage point, look solid. Jax still goes for the home run block. Uh, sometimes he connects, sometimes he whiffs. He didn't whiff yesterday, but a couple times when he was out there, he'd make first contact, uh, he'd maybe get a single instead of his home run block, but then that would allow whoever he blocked to shed it, get off it, and then instead of, you know, maybe meeting the running back at the line of scrimmage or for a loss, it's three or four yards when it could have been eight or nine. What have you seen from these fullbacks this season, and what are you hoping to see in the bowl game and then moving forward in the next year? They've just got a lot of growing to do. I mean, Jax is, what, 18, 19 years old, and he's literally the size of the Hulk. So I can't, I don't blame him for wanting to destroy people every chance he gets, but I think it's just something where he's going to have to grow into that mold and just become smarter as a blocker. But I want to see Jax get a carry or two. I'd love to see him. I love those little boot passes where we get, get to the, you know, the tight ends and the fullbacks. I'd like to see more of that because it seems like it's open every single time. Um, and just the people want to see Jax crush a person like an aluminum can. So I think that we should be doing everything in our power to get Jacks the ball at least once a game, just purely for entertainment value. I agree with you. And I, I think that I'd like to see him run the ball, but I think the boot pass and getting him out in the flats, I want to see him run for like 50 yards and just, just hitting, hitting people like a drunk driver smashing highway construction cones out of the way. Like I I think it would truly be like that. It would be so fun to see him run as fast as he can in the open field. I want to see a cornerback try to square up with him and just watch him just get flattened. Yeah. Could you imagine like you're playing like some FCS or like uh, no name college next year, like in game one or two. And then we just do like some toss back pass of Jackson Neen and there's no one, no one anywhere close except for like some five, eight, one forty cornerback. Just see him just, just demolish him. Oh, that would be amazing. That's, that's a goal. We're going to have to lobby 
Courtney Messingham all off season to try to make that happen. I'm I'm ready. Okay. I've got I've got my presentation ready. Perfect. Um, let's rotate into the receivers tight ends. Again, not much can be said due to the wind only being 12 attempts, but I will say, and you have to get buy-in from your tight ends and wide receivers to be in this sort of offense. But these guys really take blocking seriously. Uh, are they perfect? No, not by any means. But you see them putting in all that effort to block downfield on these running plays, on some of these screens. It really does a you know you know an old school football heart like I have good to see these pretty boys really making sure they get their blocks out there on the outside. Yeah, I I completely agree. I mean, you have to. You have to hold your hat off to them, and I wonder if that's going to be a problem for us in the in the future with like negative recruiting and just recruiting in general, trying to bring guys into this program where you know it's pretty much run heavy. But um, we do utilize wide receivers, and I thought they did a good job actually last night of getting guys open. We did have a few tough drops, but um, you know I, I think that they as a as a group have taken big strides forward this year. Um, and it, it just leaves me excited at the skill positions, even at the wide receiver position for next year, because I think that these guys are actually a little more talented than we gave them credit for, especially uh, the young boys. Yeah, I think the young guys are good. I, I think when you watch Big 12 football and you see some of the other wide receivers, I I, I don't know if I'd go as far as we, – we might have underrated them as individuals, but I think – that they truly are still one of the bottom groups uh, if you compare them to the rest of the conference. That doesn't mean that they can't accomplish what we need them to. I mean, we've seen big games from guys, and uh, I, I want to give a shout-out to Sebastian Taylor, second straight game where he made a big catch, 22-yard catch to the long of the game. Um, it was a, He was a guy that I almost had kind of written off as a, Okay, he's just yeah. going to be one of those what could have been big body types. But uh, with the last two games of him stepping up, especially after Malik Knowles got hurt, um, what type of future do you think Sebastian might have? I think he still has two years of eligibility left. Um, do you think he will make a big imprint on the next two years? Or do you think when Malik Knowles is healthy with the evolution of young blood? Um, that he's going to be kind of relegated to just being a supporting cast member. Um, I don't think we've seen enough from him yet to say that he will leave a big imprint. I think at this point, you know, it's fair to say that he'll be a good supporting supporting cast wide receiver, which is totally fine um, if he can be reliable and you know just make catches when we need him to. And he's done that this time. At, uh, he's done that this year in huge moments. Um, you know, a catch here, a catch there that has gotten us crucial first downs. I think back to the TCU game where he made that really, really good catch under pressure right at the line, right at the line to gain. And, um, you know, if he continues to be that guy and, you know, having two more years in a system with a coach that's actually going to give you chances, I think, um, will be huge for him. So maybe, you know, maybe, um, he can take that next step. I wouldn't say that the sky is the limit for Jefferson Taylor at this point, but, I think, you know, it's possible with Chris Kleiman and the opportunities that he gives players. Um, I, I don't think it's crazy to think that he could take some big steps forward. Philip Brooks is a guy who I think has taken steps forward as a true receiver. He was used exclusively 
as a punt returner last year. He still does punt returning this year. But he he, he got into the end zone uh, at the back end of this season, and his 19-yard pickup, it was pretty nifty. He got the ball, made a couple moves, and just put his head forward and picked up yards, got 19. Um, he almost is kind of falling into that unsung uh, type of player when you look at what he brings to this offense and his skill set. Yeah, he's a much more dynamic guy than I gave him credit for earlier Earlier in the year. He's very slippery um, as a runner, but I think he's pretty he's, – he's just kind of consistent and steady, and um, he's been pretty good all year at the, from the wide receiver position when he was you know, able to get open when he was targeted. So I have high hopes for him, and I like I said, he reminds me a lot of Tremaine Thompson. I don't know if he will be as good as Tremaine Thompson, but e- even Tremaine was kind of that supporting cast – type of wide receiver in his time so i could see philip brooks kind of filling into that mold yeah i mean even if he was a you know a poor man's tremaine thompson there are worse roles to fill Um, absolutely young blood 12 uh, yards on his lone reception but he got three carries for 26 yards we'll touch on his third return for a touchdown later but how great of a weapon has he become in his true freshman season and I, if you want to talk about sky's the limit over the next three years, right. uh, talk about a weapon. I mean, yeah, I've got a call. We got to call it back to that guy that that said, "How is it possible that Youngblood could be one of the best returners?" You know, at K State, and I didn't think we didn't necessarily scoff at that, but man, three returns as a freshman, and he has proven to be electric. Um, I thought we did a great job last night of trying to get get the ball in his hands a little bit more. Um, yeah, Sky is honestly the limit, I think, for Joshua Youngblood and the hype that he earned um, preseason that everybody was talking about. I think has been uh, has been warranted. Yep, uh, Logan Long, uh, one catch for five yards. Um, you know, tight ends are tight ends. I think that's one spot that they really need to improve the talent on to do all that they want to do. Um, I, think, I agree. I think, yeah, we, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, oh, you go, you go, you go. I was just going to say, I think Logan is a very good blocker at that position, but for this offense to reach the, the highest of highs, uh, Messingham needs some truly dynamic playmakers at tight end. Um, I don't, I think, I, I mean, I, I'm trying to think back to it. Did Nick Lunders play? I feel like I didn't see him. I don't remember seeing Okay, either. Well, I mean, and I think Nick is a fine guy, but I think they truly need some upper echelon tight ends to make this offense all it could be. And nothing against Logan Long. I think he fits that second tight end spot very well of being a predominant blocker, and he would have fit the old Snyder offense very well as almost a third tackle out there. Yeah. Um, so what I'm saying is not to, meant to degrade uh, Mr. Long. I mean, because he made his catch, and he fell forward. And, uh, you know, that's all you can ask for a guy like that when he gets the ball thrown to him is to catch it and fall forward for five, six yards. Yeah, I'll ask you this. How excited are you for the future of the tight end position? Do you think that there's going to be a time where – you know, in in the climate era where we have a nation's elite tight end, because clearly that position means a whole lot to this offense and this program, and I think that we're going to attack that at the recruiting on the recruiting trail. Yeah, I'm very excited for it. I think uh, we have some guys next year 
who I think will be immediate impact players at that tight end position. And I think, and that's very exciting. Um, do I think we'll ever have like one of these top tight ends in the countries? I don't know, but they'll sure get their opportunities. And again, you said it uh, as being a longtime Kansas City Chiefs fan. Uh, that's an NFL offense that almost always throws to their tight ends and almost uses them more as wide receivers. But if you go back even to the heyday of K-State football, they use their tight ends, and that is something that we grew up on. That's something that I truly love. And I am excited to have an offense that wants to feature tight ends so predominantly. Uh, that's truly a brand of football I want. I, I, I kind of go back to last year's coaching search and uh, talking about a modern spread-it-out offense and uh, I, I would cheer for it, and scoring 50 points would be fun. But, again, I think if you look at truly at the brand of football that I personally enjoy the best, it's what we have with Coach Kleinman. Yeah, it's it's exciting. It's exciting times, my friend. Yep, Schoen uh, only had one reception for a negative one yard, uh, one carry for four yards. Not the senior night he would have wanted, but at the end of the day when his career's done, you're going to see him – in the record books a lot more than you would have anticipated. Um, and I, you, you got to think that he's someone who is the traditional walk on rags, riches type story at K state. Um, do we want to live in a world where we recruit good enough that guys like that are not thrust into it? Yes. But that doesn't take away what he was able to give to the program. And fact of the matter at, his final season as being the number one wide receiver in a lot of games. Um, that is something we're going to have to replace next year. I think we're going to be able to, but uh, I never thought in my wildest dreams that we'd have to be sitting here talking about uh, making sure we account for everything we're losing with Dalton Schoen. Um, forget yesterday's game. It, it was nothing to write home about. What is going to be your lasting uh, memories of Dalton Schoen? Uh, they're going to be great. I mean, he kind of came out of nowhere um, last year, and he was really Mr. Reliable for us this year, and he has a really, really good connection with Skylar Thompson. Um, I feel like every third down, they always somehow link up. So that's going to be – he will be difficult to replace, uh, no doubt about it. Um, but I have faith in the young guys that got valuable, valuable experience this year that they will be able to take the next step and uh, move us forward as a wide receiving unit. Yep, I agree with you. Um, that's all I have for offense. Is there anything you want to add before we move to defense? Uh, not really, man. Let's do it. All right. Uh, as it's been the case for almost every game review pod this season, the reviews are going to be sponsored by our friends over at Kansas City Direct Primary Care. You guys are all loyal boneheads, so by now you've heard of KCDPC. Uh, and you might have thought to yourself, wow, that sounds like a great deal. Those discounts on medications, imaging, labs, all that, amazing. But I have insurance. If you thought that, well, this is what I want to tell you. Many patients over at Kansas City Direct Primary Care also have insurance. You see, insurance is not health care. It does not get you extended appointments or increased access with your doctor. In many cases, it doesn't even pay medical, medical bills until you've hit a thousand plus dollars amount of out of pocket insurance can protect you from a financial catastrophe but ask yourself is that a good way to pay for primary care why pay a huge monthly premium only to pay an additional copay and deductible for simple visits and procedures 
Say you need an x-ray. Why not pay $45 cash instead of $370 copay, which is the national average with insurance? Dr. Short recommends pairing Kansas City Direct Primary Care membership and low premium and a low premium health insurance plan to protect yourself financially and save big money on your monthly bill. Talk with your employer or search at healthcare.gov for a plan that works for you and then sign up with Kansas City Direct Primary Care.com to become a member. Dr. Short aims to take the hassle out of healthcare by giving you the time and resources you need to make the best decision for your health. I tell you what, there, I, that is probably the most important ad read we have ever done. Kansas City Direct Primary Care truly is giving you guys a great option to save money monthly and long-term and not sacrifice anything for your health. If anything, you're going to get increased face time with your doctor and be even healthier uh, than any other option. Um, I honestly don't understand why anyone in the Kansas City area wouldn't take advantage of the services they provide. I completely agree. In a, in a time period where the health system seems a little bit broken at times, um, this is a very good option and a very good place to go. Um, it, it gives you an opportunity to kind of establish yourself with a primary care physician, um, which a lot of people don't do, and it's really important. So I would say to get get on down to Westport and check him out. And he's he's a cat, so got to support the cats. And Dr. Short is great on Twitter. So uh, yeah. follow him. Oh, he, he had the best tweet, dude. He had the best tweet, like, before this season. I think it was when we were 3-0, or maybe it was when we were 6-2, and and he said it was the one where he was talking about how in the first year we're going to have a better season than Iowa State. Ever. And they're like, yeah, yeah. I, that was, that's fucking great. I have to find that and retweet yeah. it. Dr. Short, not only saving your life and money, but great at Twitter. So let's get into general defensive talk. Another great night for – uh, one of the best third-down defenses in the country. Um, they did give up two fourth-down conversions that were a bit concerning, uh, but that does kind of lead – I mean, that is kind of nitpicking. Uh, fourth and goal from the half-foot line, um, shit happens. Uh, that fourth and 13 uh, kind of later – or that you gave up across the field, um, you know, just didn't get to the quarterback and hit him. Uh, it happens. Um but again, you have to be nothing but pleased with that third down defense, right? Absolutely. I mean, one of thirteen. It's it's. I, I haven't checked the stats recently, but last time we talked about it, we were fourth in the nation. Um, that's you know obviously very good when you get up to those rankings. Um, it's kind of splitting hairs between those top teams. So um, it's incredible. Um, those those backbreaking plays kind of hurt, and they, I don't think that I would call them a trade or anything, but. Uh, this defense is so improved. Um, I think Scotty Hazleton has done a, ri- a ridiculous job, and he's an easy dude to get behind. So I, I think that the – shit, maybe the sky's the limit for Scotty Hazleton too. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, did surrender three plays of 20 yards or more, including a 60-yard reception. Again, that's something that Iowa State is really good at. Um, and the way our defense has trended in, you know, at different points this season – Giving up only three of them, that's not that bad. Um, they really never let Purdy get into a rhythm, which was key in this game. And then they held, They only gave up 185 yards, which is one of the season lows for Iowa State. And 51 rushing yards, also one of the season lows for Iowa State. Um, just 
an all-out great defensive performance, don't you say? Absolutely. I mean, say what you want about Iowa State, but Brock Purdy is a damn good quarterback. Um, I I think KSO was – I think I might have got this from KSO, but the staff was basically treating him as, you know, and referring to Brock Purdy as the best um, quarterback in the conference. Um so to give him that much respect and then to kind of put him in a jar, um, it's it's a huge testament to how well we played yesterday. And um, I, it was fun to watch. I mean, it was fun to watch. I did not want to lose to Brock Purdy, so <laughs> I, I I don't like him very much. I don't like the Purdies. No, I don't like them either. Um, you know, we're going to have probably two more uh, with Mr. Purdy, but I, I say we're just going to have to beat him both those times. Um, let's get into the defensive line. Reggie Walker, one tackle, a, cu- a couple quarterback pressures. Um, he did propose to his girlfriend uh, pre, uh, pre-game. pre I, I was a little confused because uh, I thought, okay, Eric Gallon is going to be the last one because he can't walk out as far. Um, it made sense to me. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, there's Reggie Walker. I was like, oh, that, that's a little weird. Why is he going afterwards? Then he came down, and then he got down on a knee and proposed to uh, his girlfriend, now fiance. I was like, hey, good for him. Good for him. That's a gutsy thing to do, man. I mean, I don't know if I would be doing that on that stage. <laughs> well, hey, he, he did it. She said, yes, it's awesome. Uh, Reggie Walker, again, one of those uh, careers where uh, he had a freshman All-American season, never quite got back to that level. But I think he was a solid contributor uh, sophomore through senior year, uh, you and I said it. I think he was a little bit prisoner to uh, higher expectations uh, due to that freshman year. Because if you kind of get rid of those expectations, you look at it season over season, he was nothing but a solid defensive end. He just never got back to that All-American sta- standard, um, which anyone playing opposite of Jordan Willis was going to have a massive year. What's going to be your lasting impression of Reggie Walker? Um, I'll have good memories of Reggie Walker, man. He has had some great plays over his career. What a an amazing freshman year. He's had a lot of really good strip sacks that um, he just has to ha- happens to have a knack for. Um, he was the one at Big 12 Media Days that talked to me the most. So I I will always I will always uh, think fondly of Reggie Walker, and he's got one more game to show out. Yes, he does. Uh, Wyatt Hubert, Mister Topeka Cat himself. Four tackles, two tackles for a loss, had three registered quarterback hurries. Um, yesterday, he, he just was a beast. Like, he almost killed Brock Purdy like you predicted um, on on one of those plays where Brock just barely got rid of the ball uh, fast enough. I mean, I, he like, I thought he took his head off. Um, he had a massive game yesterday. Uh, yeah, Wyatt Hubert is elite, um, and it wasn't just – it wasn't just a freshman year um, that he shined. I think the I think the sky's limits for Wyatt Humor as well. His trajectory just keeps keeps climbing. Um, Topeka Cat, man, I love him. I think he's got two huge years ahead of him. Matt Hall tweeted it today. Today being Sunday, talking about how the media probably and fans are underplaying how great Wyatt Hubert's been. If you really go back and look at his games. He's a borderline All-American, and Matt said it, and I agree with him. I don't think we talk about that as loudly or as much as we should. 
Um, do you think that White Hubert should be garnering a little bit of All-American attention, let alone All-Big 12 attention? Um, yeah, I mean, if you keyed in on White Hubert every game, you would see just how disruptive and the havoc that he creates on every single play. I mean, he's it's so difficult to block. Um, of course, I mean, he was a freshman All-American last year, and his play has only improved, so I don't think that's crazy. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, Trey Deshaun, two tackles, Kyle Ball, one sack, Jordan Mitty, one tackle. All three of those guys, final game in Manhattan. Um, just tell me what your overall memories of those three guys are going to be. I think Trey Deshaun had a massive senior season. Um, he's going to be a guy I look very fondly upon, and I think that uh, it's going to be tougher than we realize to – replace him and Jordan Mitty in the middle. And then Kyle Ball, I mean, say what you want about the guy. He was never really a game-in, game-out starter, but he he came up with a lot of big sacks in his four-year career. Um, what are you going to remember about really? those three? Oh, man, Trey Deshaun, I think he was one of the most consistent. Um, he's, he was a very good pass rusher as a D-tackle. Um, I'll remember that about him. I'll remember his um, swaggy all-white suit at – uh, big told me oh, yeah. he has big man swagger he does have big man swagger uh jordan Mitty, i mean he was he was solid kyle ball i yeah i mean he was never a starter but i felt like i always would see him he would always come up with a big sack he, one of his best games was last year was it last year maybe it was two years ago at oklahoma state when we upset them they were number 10 and he i mean kind of just came out of nowhere and was very disruptive so all I, when I think of Kyle Ball, I always think of that that road upset. <clears throat> yep, uh, and then defensive line as a whole, uh, final game of the regular season. After the bowl game, we'll do some sort of year-end review. But um, outside of the offensive line, you're seeing a lot of seniors move on from that position. Um, Wyatt is coming back, and then you guys got you have guys like Boom Massey, Khaled Duke on the outside. Uh, you have some guys on the inside that probably are not quite as proven. How nervous are you seeing all of those guys leave the defensive line? You cut out a lot there, so I really didn't hear like any oh, of no, that. You're, you're fine. So uh, a lot of those guys graduating from the defensive line, how nervous are you for uh, what next year will hold? Oh, um, you know what? I, I Slightly nervous. Um, it's not good to lose a lot of experience, but – you know, this is football. That's what that's what happens. There's transition periods. Um, guys always tend to step up. I'm, you know, we have an insanely good leader and our maybe our best overall football player still coming back for two years in Wyatt Hubert. So people can, you know, rally around Wyatt Hubert on that line. And I think, you know, after a period of time, guys will plug in and guys will step up. And you know, I, I have faith in this staff in recruiting for the future. So. Um, not too terribly worried, um, but it does all kind of start in the trenches, so there might be a little bit of a shaky period, but I think going forward, we'll figure it out. Yep, I agree with you. Linebackers, Daquan Patton, four tackles, uh, but, the, but the thing that is going to haunt me is that dropped interception that he had, he was going to take that back for six <laughs> on his senior day. I know, that was tough, um, but... He played great, um, and yeah, he's like always in position. 
somehow for a pick. Um, it's, it's impressive. He he drops into that zone as a ghost. Uh, yeah. Like he, like his ability to he's not great in run de- defense in my opinion, but in pass defense he is amazing. He just like I said he drops back in that zone after showing blitz and he's a ghost and uh, I think we're really going to miss him in pass coverage. Uh, we're getting J ball back next year, but again, I think uh, Daquan Patton had a massive season, uh, and we will have to replace that next year. Yeah, we definitely will. Um, but like I said, I mean, guys always step up. We're gonna we're gonna find a way to plug those gaps, and um, we're gonna do it with youth going forward. So I I think that's exciting. We're gonna be able to build up, build experience on experience. Um, going forward and i'm just excited man i just want to play again i agree with you i it's gonna suck waiting that long (laughs) um elijah sullivan had another good game two tackles he had two pass breakups as well so maybe he's gonna pick up that mantle as being a a great uh pass defender on defense at the linebacker level cody fletcher got a tackle i don't recall seeing much if any daniel green um that I mean, that's not a massive I don't issue. For, him either. I mean, he's redshirt freshman again. He's had some massive moments. Again, Daquan Patton's leaving, but you do have so much uh, just havoc coming back uh, at the yeah. linebacker spot, and I think that's going to be a bright spot not only for the bowl game but moving forward as well. Yeah, and I think we will return our best linebacker in Elijah Sullivan, so we will be able to build off that. Daniel Green has shown us a lot as a freshman. Um, and of course we get Justin Hughes back. So that is big experience wise to kind of plug back in as that leader of the team. So, um, I think, you know, the linebacker core might be one of our bright spots returning next year. Yep. I agree with you. Uh, secondary Denzel Goolsby in his final game, uh, led the team with six tackles. I thought he had a great game. I know, uh, you've been, uh, you know, you, you've been very fair, but also critical of, Denzel Goolsby play uh, this season. What did you think of his final game in Manhattan? Um, I thought he was good. And, you know, I've given Denzel some shit <laughs> enough, definitely, this year. Um, I felt like he's been out of position a couple of times. But, you know, he's – I think we will miss him a lot next year. You always miss a guy that's been in the program for five years, a guy that's kind of the quarterback of the defense. So, he is a good leader, and he's made some damn big plays in his career. So, you know, I can't take too much away from him. He got got to go out on senior night with a win. Yes, he did. I, and again, I thought that uh, I thought he was in position. I thought he made some plays. He he was hitting with some venom that we haven't seen in a while from him. Uh, Jerome McPherson, I thought he was making some big plays. He had five tackles. Uh, he was sure running around quite a bit, and I was very happy to see. Um, him make that nickel back position his uh, throughout the season. And he was a great surprise this season, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I agree. And, he, man, he's like a – he loves to hit, and I love that. I love when you get a defensive player that's just like kind of psycho, and he, he's always in position to make good plays. So he's been a good addition for sure. Uh, speaking of psycho, Jonathan Alexander, three tackles, <laughs> two tackles for loss, two pass breakups. Um, will he be the guy who starts next to Wayne Jones next year? I'm not sure, but this guy is a playmaker, and I think that you got to make sure that even if he's not a starter, he needs to be on the field for 20 to 30 plays minimum uh, every game because he yeah. – t- talk about havoc. That dude is just a monster out there. 
Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know. I don't know if he will be able to, you know, take over that safety position. Time will tell. But I agree. We got to get him, keep him on the field, um, get him in some packages where he can, you know, just get himself in the middle of stuff and and make shit happen. Yep, I agree with you. Lance Robinson again, another big game. Three tackles, one tackle for a loss. I thought he was great in coverage. Um, and we we have I, I I'm frustrated. I I need to confess to you. I I think that I am going to looking back on the season be very frustrated and borderline mad. We didn't see more Lance Robinson. Uh, in his redshirt freshman season, he gets his head around. He's making plays on the ball. Uh, he seems to be the most technically sound cornerback we have, and he has the physical traits. Um, again, I trust the coaching staff. I co- I trust Van Malone, uh, but I, I I think I'm going. I think it's beyond frustrating. I'm mad. It took this long to see so much of. Mr. Robinson, um, what'd you make of his game? And am I just an angry soul looking for something to be mad at? Or do you think I have a little merit in my feelings? Well, you are that for sure. But, um, I think in this particular situation, um, I think it's fair, but again, it's hard for me to really, uh, question a coaching staff that see, like, as far as playing players, you know, they see, they get to see these guys every single day. So, I don't know. I mean, he had A.J. Parker, you know, Walter Neal, Kevion McGee ahead of him. Um, I don't know if we can really say that he was – that he warranted playing that much over those guys, but maybe he did. Um, but, hey, it's going to be his time going forward. He's got plenty of time left in his career to make a big impact. So I say it's Lance Robinson's time. Yes, I agree. Um, Wayne Jones, one tackle. He was in good position most of the night. Uh, but, man – I really wanted him to get that interception. I completely agree. Um, that sucked, and that kind of that was a big momentum play that kind of swing things uh, temporarily. So that would have been huge. Yep, Kevon McGee one tackle. Uh, I thought it was a good night for him. Um, at the end of the <clears throat> night, it was just a great night of coverage from the defensive backs, especially when they were outsized by so much. Um, I think that if you were going to have to give one unit the, uh, you know, valedictorian of this game, I think you'd have to give it to the defensive backs or the uh, offensive line. Where do you land on that uh, debate? Oh, I got to give it to the line, man. Um, This team, this team thrives when the line gets a good push. And uh, we were able to kind of establish our will at the line of scrimmage in the run game um, on a night that, we were going to absolutely need it. So especially with five dudes that are seniors um, on that line, um, big stuff, big stuff from the offensive line last night. I agree. Um, we're going to get into special teams uh, unless you have anything else to say about the defense. Nope. All right, special teams. So when Snyder left uh, and Coach Clement took over, Coach Clement didn't have a special teams coordinator, and that led to a lot of heartburn of, you know, the – Snyder purists and a lot of folks who uh, value special teams. Um, I think we sat and we talked to former players talking about how, oh, there's no way the special teams will ever be that good under Coach Kleiman because of how much Coach Snyder valued it. Facts are facts, folks. They ended up as a top 15 special team efficiency squad 
they ended up being the number one kick return unit in the country. Um, we had one of the most accurate field goal kickers of all time at K-State. You had one of the best punting seasons of all time at K-State. Um, that narrative is just looks to have not aged very well at all. Yeah, um, and I, I would be remiss to say that I wasn't worried myself. We looked a little scary at first um, early on in the year, special teams-wise, um, but man, we turned it around. I mean, how many, we had four kickoff returns for touchdowns. Um, three of those were, you know, wins that really kind of changed the tide of the game. Um, huge, huge. I mean, Blake Lynch, Devin Ankle, two of, you know, the best kickers, punters in school history. Just a huge turnaround. It, it feels great. And I, I think Matt, or I don't know if I'm going to credit the wrong person, but he tweeted something interesting yesterday about how, you know, we kind of combined Sean's uh, kick kick return formation with North Dakota States. And, like, it looks – honestly, it looks so so similar to, you know, some kick returns that we've had in the past. Just catch the ball and have, like, a wall of guys um, switch the field. And it seems like it works every time. I mean, you got to give some credit to Sean Snyder. The dude was – I mean, he he's coached those guys the last several years before this year, and obviously the man knows what he's doing. He made Devin Ankle maybe one of the best punters in the country. So, and shout out to Ankle for you know wearing number nine last night. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, uh, I, I think that is great. And uh, since you brought Ankle, we'll do a little bit of audible and go right to <laughs> Ankle, and we'll circle back to kicking kickoff. Um, he wore number nine. Um, had some very touching things to say about uh, Sean Snyder. And uh, Sean Snyder posted a picture of those two together. Um, Sean took a lot of crap um, from fans, uh, some from players, a lot from us as well. But you do have to give credit where credit's due. Um, he took a chance on Devin Ankle, and he honestly he took a chance on Blake Lynch as well. He brought in both of those guys who really didn't have options anywhere else. Ankle legitimately turned into an NFL prospect in Lynch turned into having one of the most accurate seasons that K-State kickers ever had. Um, so you got to give credit where credit's due. And I did think it was a very nice, uh, touching thing that Ankle wore number nine to uh, thank Sean Snyder in his final game. Yeah, I thought that, that, was, I thought that was pretty cool. And um, Sean and everyone, dude, everybody from that staff the last couple of years took shit from every angle because it, it just got weird. It got toxic at the end. Uh, we didn't. Nobody knew what was going to happen. There was a lot of uh, <laughs> rumors and misinformation probably swirling around last year. So um, nothing personal. Um, obviously, no, I have I, a lot of respect for Sean Snyder. Um, you know, one of the best punters in school history and a damn good special teams coach, and he's done a lot for our program. So shout out to him. Yeah, and I'm not going to go as far as <clears throat> you did. I think that there was a lot of warranted – uh, shit talking and sure, I, I think sure. I think a lot of it was warranted and I'm never going to be someone who backs away from that type of stuff. Yeah, uh, but like, like I said, evolves. it got weird at the end. It got yeah, very it, toxic both ways and yeah, I mean yeah, I but, think the coaches did a lot of stupid shit, but you know they've done a ton for the university, so it is what it is. Yes, it kind of balances yeah, out. Yeah, I I agree with you, but I I did think it was nice to say Ankle do that. Um, Ankle probably had his worst punt of the year, that very first one that kind of went off the side of his foot, but he followed it up with a lot of good punts rest of the game. 
Um, he really, when field position was bad, because it, it truly was bad almost the entire game, he made some massive punts that if he didn't make, it would have given Iowa State just an easy field to score on. In fact, and, and quite frankly, we didn't give that to them uh, almost the entire first half until, again, those uh, two touchdowns on that field goal earlier. How big were his punts outside of that first one, uh, making sure that we didn't just hand Iowa State a, you know, a 30-yard field to go into the end zone? Yeah, that first punt was like 10 yards. It did not look good on TV, but um, it was huge, and he's done that several times this year where he's kind of bailed us out. Um, it was a huge field position battle game, and we really had a hard time getting ourselves um, on the on the right side of the field position battle for a while. But, um, yeah, he bailed us out a few times and some crazy, crazy strong wins. So he's done it every game, man, pretty much. He's a hell of a punter. Uh, I'm going to miss him. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Um, he also made a big tackle on one of his punts um, that might have stopped them from scoring a touchdown. So I want to give him credit for that. Um, he had a bad run of games that probably will cost him shots of, at awards, All-American stats, and even uh, him being a draft prospect. But uh, when it's all said and done, how are you going to remember Devin Engel? Um, as a fun guy who, you know, has a lot of swagger for a punter and a guy that's way more ripped than a punter should probably be. But um, And you know what? The best holder of all time. I agree. I agree full-heartedly. Um, kicking kick, kickoff, McClellan, I think, did a good job with the conditions. Uh, he had some long. He did some pooches. Um, I like the way we handled kickoffs. Post-Zentner, do you have any real call-outs to McClellan? That was his final game. Uh, so thank you for all you did for the program. Anything to add? Yeah, I thought he did well. Um, all good kickoffs. You got a couple of them out of the back of the end zone. So good stuff. Yep, uh, let's talk real quick. Uh, we touched on it at the top of the show, but Lynch's 43-yard field goal into the swirling wind uh, tied the game when things were looking bleak. Uh, how massive of a kick is that, and would that be maybe uh, his best kick of his career? Um, Maybe, because that's like honestly right at his distance. I mean, what is his long, 46 yards? Yeah, he that 46 or 49 he hit at Texas earlier in the year. I mean, yeah, pressure pack situation, staring down a brutal wind, and he drilled it. So final game, final game in, in the bill. Yeah, absolutely. It's one of his nope, best games. Lynch is a junior. Or, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, for the season. How about that? Yeah, um, that, that works. And it's Farmageddon. You know, the whole world is on the line. you got to beat the Cyclones. So he drilled it. Hell of a kick. Thank God we have Blake Lynch back. Yep, uh, he also had a 30-yard field goal to ice the game. I mean, hey, anything in those conditions um, is going to be rough since he was on the right hash and it was blowing uh, east to west. He actually had to kick into the crosswind, and he still nailed it. Um, one of the most accurate seasons in K-State football history. Um, we, we expected big things from him, and then even after that first kick, we didn't jump off the third-legged Lynch train. Um, how happy are you to have him? Uh, as your kicker in this world of college kickers being absolute anarchy, I'm so su I'm super happy. I mean, he's he's Mr. Seti Eddie. Um, he's adorable, also, so that adds to his charm. But the fact that he had one of the most accurate kicker accurate kicking seasons, you know, in the history of K State, 
um, against guys like Martin Gramatica, you know, Matthew McCrane, the Ream brothers, the Cantelli brothers, all very, very good kickers. Uh, you know, that's, that, that's a lot. That, that says a lot about his ability. Definitely. Um, time to talk about the return, but before the obvious, I want to touch on something. I, I, in, I overlooked it when I built this outline, but I didn't overlook it in tr- Twitter. How about Philip Brooks's heads up play on one of those punts? It hit, I don't know what player it hit, but it hit one of our, uh, you know, blockers, one of the guys blocking the gunners in the back uh, with that crazy wind. And he jumped right on it, not giving Iowa State a chance to recover it. Uh, and that would have been, you know, devastating if we turned it over for a third time. But he didn't let that happen. How massive of a play did Philip Brooks make? And obviously it's not going to get the pub uh, it deserved, but it has to be one of the plays of the game. Huge, huge play. Um yeah, it just bounced off our dude's back or helmet. Um, I don't think anybody saw that but Philip Brooks. Um, it, there didn't seem to be any urgency from anyone, even the Iowa State guys. But it was huge that he that he jumped on that. I mean, that would have been a killer, killer, killer turnover. All right, let's talk about it though. Opening ki- opening kick, uh, Young Blood, aka Crib God, uh, takes it back to the house again. Um, his third one this season, the fourth for K-State. Malik Knowles, of course, having the other one versus Mississippi State. Um, the guy just has next-level vision, next-level speed. Um, the second he caught it, I shouted out, he's taking this to the house. Again, no one near me can confirm that on Twitter, but I swear it happened. Um, but it was just electric. Yeah. Um, first play of the game, too. I mean, he set the tone. It was super exciting. Um, Youngblood is, uh, he's a big, he's a big time player. He's a big stage player. I really believe this guy is the limit for him. Um, and man, I mean, just later in the game, even after that, he had some big plays where he just looks so electric. Um, and he's a humble guy. He's a humble guy and he loves giving credit to the, to the whole unit. Um, it's exciting. I mean, hell yeah, he can be one of the best, best returners in school history. He can be more than that. Yep, I would like to see him break one on a punt maybe next year uh, if he can take that over from Philip Brooks. But, hey, Brooks is a solid hand after some uh, concerns early fielding punts. Um, he's sure he, he was sure solid basically in the final uh, nine games of the season. Uh, but, you know, if you have a guy who can take it back on a kickoff, uh, that just brings a whole new dynamic to your team. Um, unless you have anything else on special teams, we will do keys to V and game balls. I'm ready. All right. The first key to V you had get pressure on Purdy Grant. We didn't literally murder him like you were calling for it, but we came close a few times. Uh, what grade are you going to give our boys on that key? Okay. First of all, that was a bit, I walked it back. I, I said officially, I hope that Brock Purdy stays healthy. But I thought we were pretty, pretty damn good. Um, I'm trying to find the numbers here, but I can't see them. They're escaping me. Um, I felt I'm like pulling, I'm pulling it up right now. So we officially had only one sack, but we did have six registered uh, QB hurries. I mean, that's pretty damn good. And Purdy is one of the better quarterbacks uh, in the conference. Um, I felt like he was never comfortable, especially in the first half. So I'm going to give it a solid A-. minus. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go B+. Plus, uh, or no, I'm going to go B. Only one sack. 
did get six hurries. You never let, let him get comfortable. Um, would have liked to see a couple more sacks go a little bit higher grade, but I'm going to go with a B, uh, almost a B plus. So like a 87%. Sounds um, good. My first key was protect the ball. Um, can't give anything but a failing grade, right? Two two turnovers. Um, I don't think I don't think it could be anything but an F. Yeah, and the turnovers came at times that were pretty scary. Back to back, back to back possessions um, where Iowa State I think was winning. So yeah, that's got to be a failing grade for me. Straight up F. Yep, this one will not be a straight up F. You had it. Shut down Brees Hall. Um, how, what did he end up with? Sixty yards. So. Yeah, Brees Hall ended up with 59 yards with a long of 20, average 3.3. He did have a touchdown. I'll give it an A minus again. Um, it felt like it felt like he played better than that, but I guess you know the numbers don't lie, so that's going to get him an A. Yep, I'm going to give it a just a straight up A. Ever since they went to him as basically the go-to back. He had 132 yards and three touchdowns, 183 and two touchdowns, 76 and two touchdowns, 110, uh, 101, 97 and a touchdown. And then we held him to 59, uh, which was far and away his low uh, once he started uh, really getting carries for them. Coming into the game, he, he was averaging close to six yards per carry, and we had held him to only 3.3. Uh, would have liked to uh, see him kept out of the end zone, but that's an A performance for me. I think that's fair. I think that's and the fair. final the final key to uh, V that we had was remind Iowa State who Daddy is, and I think we did. I'm giving that an A plus. Uh, we got up to 14-0. We kind of got a little sleepy there in the middle, but uh, we came back and scored. What was it? Uh, 13 points straight unanswered. Yeah. Yeah, uh, to win the game uh, and then held them scoreless after their 17-0 run. Um, I think they know who Daddy is, and that's going to be an A+. It's good stuff, baby. A+, um, all is right in the world. All right, uh, Game Balls presented by MyBookie.ag. Use promo code CHAIR for up to 1,000% deposit up to $1,000. Uh, I got in there. I was doing all sorts of gambling over the Thanksgiving holiday. They had all sorts of fun free plays. Uh, at the back end of December, they're doing 12 days of giveaways. So get over to mybookie.ag to gamble. Um, again, it's time for our game balls. We both have two to give away and a swagger sticker. Uh, you know, game balls are for excellence. You get offensive and defensive, but you can get creative, go special teams. And Swagger Sticker is just, you know, someone someone who deserves a little extra praise. Um, Grant, who is getting your first game ball? Offensive game ball goes to Courtney Messingham. I think a man that's faced – a man he faced his old team where he struggled a bit and was unwanted. You know, I think he's taken shit from our fan base unfairly. I thought he was very good last night. I think he's been good on the whole as uh, – on, on the season as a whole. Um, yeah, he gets my game ball. I thought he was good. Yep, I like it. My first game ball is going to Youngblood, the crib god. Um, took it to the house. Uh, he showed how big of a weapon he can be on offenses, offense as well. We get three more years of the guy. He's going to be getting plenty more game balls. Uh, he gets my first game ball. Grant, who's getting your second game ball? Uh, I'm struggling with this. Um, I don't want to give it. 
I don't want to give it to two coaches, but honestly, I think it's warranted. My defensive game ball is going to Scotty Hazleton. That might have been the best defensive performance that we've seen uh, this season. We absolutely shut down Iowa State's offense uh, from start to finish. He's got this team playing. He's got this defense playing with a swagger we haven't seen in years. He's aggressive. He takes chances. He He's creative in his defensive schemes, and he's got a really cool beard. Um, I love Scotty Hailton. I am totally worried about losing him, not necessarily this year, but I hope we give him some money because I think he's a top defensive coordinator. Yep, I agree with you 100%. Mine is going to Goolsby. Uh, I know I'm alone on this podcast being a big Goolsby fan. Uh, I love the guy. I'm going to miss him. He was a four-year starter. I thought he played I'm a, a great game. Fan. Come on. Okay, I'm, I'm, I might be a little too uh, critical of your uh, criticisms, which probably were warranted in a couple games. But, again, I, I, I've always been a massive fan of him. Um, he was a great guy on and off the field for K-State. He has one more game, the bowl game. He was a Kansas guy. Um, he, he is going to be a great ambassador for the university and program outside of his four years of eligibility. Uh, I, I, I'm just a massive fan. I thought he played – I think he legitimately played a great game yesterday. So he's getting my second game ball. Grant, who's getting your swagger sticker? He was really fired up too. Um, he got in on a couple tackles and – he had a lot of – he was jawing quite a bit, which is, you know, great to see from Denzel Goulds because he's, like, such a nice guy. And I'd I love to see that energy out of our defense. Um, and my swagger sticker, you know what? Screw it. I'm sticking with the theme of coaches. My swagger sticker goes to the, the big man up top, Chris Kleiman. He said it in his first address to the team. You know, we're going to win this year. If you believe in what we're doing, ain't nobody stopping our ass. And he's got eight wins in year one. Could have had nine. He had, you know, one of our better wins in school history. Uh, he beat both rivals. He went on the road and beat a ranked SEC team. Uh, man, I mean, what a first year for Chris Kleiman. Um, he did exactly what he needed to do. He established the culture immediately. Um, he's got everyone at K-State convinced that, you know, the trajectory is, is going up and the sky's limit for this football program. So I'm beyond – I'm beyond myself that we have uh, Chris Kleiman as our head coach. I think he's an amazing hire and an amazing fit. I agree with you. My swagger sticker is going to Mr. Jacardi, or, eh, Jacardier Wright. Um, man, he was hyped after that 37-yard run and got in the end zone. Uh, I think he is someone who's going to be getting a lot of awards in the future. And uh, I just love having – a running back that can, you know, stretch it out when need to, but he's going to, he's going to look for contact and he's going to win that battle. So uh, he's getting my swagger sticker. So uh, that concludes this episode. Um, I think we're going to going to be coming to you guys midweek, talk a little basketball um, preview, uh, the Marquette game in Bramlage. I think that's what our, schedule is going to look like. I think we'll be coming back the following Sunday, Monday, reviewing that game. We're going to hold off recording until we know K-State's bowl destination, maybe do a little bit of college football playoff talk because we'll know uh, what the playoff looks like this year. And uh, from there on, it's going to be a lot of basketball and bowl prep. Um, As always, get at us on Twitter. We have a lot of fun on there. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, I hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. Welcome to the Christmas season. That's all I got, Grant. Say whatever you want to. 
Folks, welcome to the Chris Kleiman era. The man is a winner. Um, he's also a terrifying human being, but he's also an incredibly cool and nice human being. I wish that I was younger so that I could walk on to K-State just to play for him, even though I would never contribute to the team because I would suck. But I love him. I love – shout out to Gene. I mean, just in all the criticism and all the backlash he was taking, hiring his boy from an FCS school because he knew that he was an elite coach and he just told everybody to piss off. What a man. What a man. I think it's good times. It's it's a good time to be a Cats fan, Cats football fan. I think, you know, the energy's back. It's a good time to do the podcast. So, folks, meet me at the Cathead. Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Christmas songs you love to hear. Thoughts of joy and hope and cheer, but mostly shopping, shopping, shopping. Christmas, Christmas time is here, the sleigh bells and the red-nosed deer. Songs and songs we love to hear, all played a thousand times each year. Heard this same song twenty times, and it's only Halloween. It's Christmas, Christmas time is here, and Christmas songs you love to hear. Thoughts of joy and hope and cheer, but mostly shopping, shopping, shopping. Christmas season starting sooner every year. It's October. Stores with plastic Christmas trees. Ransack the mall. Shop until you lose your mind. Spike the eggnog. Sit back and watch Rudolph. Frosty Christmas. Christmas. And do the trick. Or Charlie Brown. It's time. It's time to do the Christmas can can. If you can't, can't dance, well, that's okay. All you need is a tree, some lights, about a thousand presents wrapped them up and pray for snow. Run to your closet, find your Christmas sweater, screaming carols all the way. Made all the way to California, it's the Christmas can't get Halloween to Christmas Day. It's the most wonderful time of year, we're running mad with Christmas cheer. Hey, what's troubling you, my friend? It's not fair if you're Jewish, Jewish. Not fair if you're Jewish, Jewish. Dreidel, 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 I made it out of clay. You realize that Christmas ain't the only holiday. Hey, he's right, who made these laws? Look, wait, here comes Santa Claus. Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. Havana Gila, happy Hanukkah to you. A happy Hanukkah to you. A happy Hanukkah to you. A Merry Christmas, Hanukkah, and also Kwanzaa. Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, and Merry Kwanzaa to you. Sports Social Podcast Network.